from the loop that you hear about. We are then going to write our own story about that. But to intrigue you first, we are going to watch a very silly music video. And I'm not going to tell you why. Then I'm going to read a story about the parable. And then you're just going to have to guess, like, what story is she talking about? Some of you already know. Don't spoil it. But, so, Reagan, will you play the video? Shayla was a dumb truck. 
She. video really split the Red Sea in this room. Half of y'all were dying, the other half was like, oh my gosh. This is so crazy. Shayla was friends with all kinds of vehicles. She had all kinds of friends, sports cars, excavators, forklifts, sedans, 18-wheelers, tractors, SUVs. All kinds of cars. They had all kinds of strengths and weaknesses, and they worked together as a team. A lot of the time, Shayla would hang out with all the sedans and the SUVs. Every few months or so, the sedans and SUVs would need to be cleaned out. They would take out all the cups, trash, makeup, golf clubs, whatever gets accumulated in the trunk, and then get it out to be unloaded. And in a lot of ways, Shayla, the dump truck, treated herself like a regular car, like a sedan or SUV. She cleaned out and emptied every few months or so like them. But it would be hard to say that this worked well for her. She usually didn't feel like she was running smoothly. Her tires felt like they could burst. Her axles felt strained, like they could crack. Her suspension was maxed out. I just remembered when it said hydraulic ram and pointed. <laughs> but she trucked on doing her job to the best of her ability. She would show up to job sites and the tractors would fill her up with dirt. She carried off to the best of her ability with each bucket of dirt. Uh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> With each bucket of dirt that got piled on, her engine got more sluggish. Her tires, axle suspension felt more strained, but she kept showing up to the job sites. Eventually, it was more than can even really fit. It overflowed. It was giant. Um, she realized something wasn't working, and she asked for help from her friends. Her excavator friends came out and pulled the mountain of dirt away from her. She could spin her wheels again. She was able to drive around. And this, this happened a few times. She would get free. Then as the tractor buckets dropped more dirt on her, because this was her job, she would get stuck. And then she would get unstuck. And eventually she realized why this was happening. She was only doing half of her job. Dump trucks aren't made just to receive dirt. They also have a way to tilt their bucket and drop off all the dirt in a better place where it belongs. She learned that every bucket of dirt that she carries has to get unloaded before too long, or else it will pile up on her and trap her under its weight. As she leaned into this reality, she got a lot more sensitive to her limits. She used to have to feel like her tires were about to pop before she would do anything about it. She learned that she could only, wait, uh-oh, what did she learn? <laughs> Anyways, she learned that she couldn't only fill up her bucket, she also had to get rid of it. When she felt the early signs that she was reaching her proper limit, she would go to the drop-off place and unload. Then the weight would come off and she knew she could take another load of dirt. Instead of getting cleaned out and unloaded once every few months, like her other friends who were much smaller vehicles, um, she would unload every day. As long as she was going to be a dump truck, this is what she had to do. <laughs> she learned to enjoy this rhythm. In addition to getting all the weight off every day, every weekend, her, uh, well, anyway, let's just leave it there. She enjoyed it. She learned to enjoy the rhythm. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so, if you don't know already, does anyone want to guess what story I'm talking about? From Luke? 
because I know you guys really just read the Bible every day. Look, Kendra. Uh, no, but good guess. It's not a bad one because it has to do with carrying lots of seed. Yeah. Good. Mine is Luke 10, 38 through 42. The story of Mary and Martha. Oh, all the girls were like, I've heard this at a women's conference. <laughs> Mary chose what is better. We get it, you know. So that parable is a metaphorical story of my life, but Jesus has been changing me the last couple of years. So I just want to kind of share about what the 2021-2022 school year was like for me. But <laughs> someone was like, yeah, I remember that. The first, So that was the first year we were coming back to being fully in person. We had just had a year and a half of online ministry. Um, our staff had really taken seriously this call from Jesus that to whom much has been given, much is required, which is from Jesus. And luckily, we were blessed with faithful people. Some of y'all remember that year, being in our ministry, having core outside on campus. Um, and so I really felt like I have to take every single opportunity and... Having ADHD, it is like overwhelmingly lots of opportunities all the time. And the, yeah, so this is what it was like. So August starts, the first week our staff go on a staff retreat. And then we have 20 new staff, which is crazy. And then someone brought Guitar Hero, and I was like, I need to stay up late and play Guitar Hero with people because they need to feel included and loved on. Didn't get any sleep that week. Okay, then the next week was our one and probably only Texas sitcom. And again, I was like, it's bad to sleep. No sleeping for Shayla is bad. Dump trucks don't sleep. And didn't get any sleep that week. Okay, I was progressively getting more and more like way out of it, okay? Third week was Welcome Week, which if any of you have joined us on Welcome Week, that's basically like a week-long mission trip on, uh, trip? Trip. on this campus, okay? Again, not a lot of sleeping. And then because I was like, resting is bad, like I can't do it, and then... Um, this is, you know, not my godson's fault, Jaden. I don't think he's here, but he lived with us at the time and had just moved in and had invited friends over. And then I'd come home and I was like, ministry, you gotta do ministry. Because um, I want them to feel included and invited and I want them to start off the year good. And I took this command too far, so far that I neglected things like sleep and prayer, which by the way, Jesus did often while there was always good work to do. Um, I was so opportunity starved during COVID that I took every opportunity to the point of diminishing returns. My immune system was shot. I would get sick every three weeks for the whole year. Uh, and anytime I would get quote unquote rest from being sick, I would, you know, then immediately over rotate again because I felt like a horse that was being kept in a cage the whole time. And then I would burn out again. And it is true that disciples of Jesus care for the poor, the sick, they feed the hungry, they invest in the poor in spirit, the spiritually hungry, they pray for people to be healed, to be delivered. Disciples sacrifice their time, their money, they answer late night emergency phone calls, they share difficult truths out of love for people, they get rejected by the people that they love, much like Jesus on the cross. Um, disciples learn and study the words that changed the course of human history. 
uh, they are themselves freed by Jesus and invite others into that same freedom. Disciples confess sin, they repent, they receive forgiveness and forgive others. Disciples are humble followers and learners and lovers of Christ. Disciples do their very best thing to do the next right thing Jesus is calling them to. But do disciples of Jesus sleep? But Jesus, there's so much work to do, including my homework. But didn't he sleep even in the midst of a storm? Do disciples of Jesus rest with him one-on-one? -on -one? Oh, Jesus, what does that even mean? I am in 2023. Well, Jesus did withdraw regularly to be with the Father, did he not? He was in the first century, which was a lot worse than what we have now. Today has its problems, but do disciples of Jesus have to do every single good thing in front of their faces at all times? Surely, if I'm not anxious and on Lexapro, Zoloft, or Wellbutrin, then I am not a virtuous person. That's not a knock if you take antidepressants, but I do think we get opportunity fatigue when we learn about how bad all the world's problems are that you actually cannot control because you're not God. And this is something I'm learning. If disciples are not burning out, then they're not doing it right, right? The answer is no to that, by the way. <laughs> I don't, and this is a side note. I really don't think that, you know, if you think that you are exempt from helping and loving and sacrificing and then you only show up to the things that benefit you personally, then I, I really question if you can call yourself a disciple. But as long as you take that next step seriously. But if you're willing to exhaust yourself for your degree or your career or your significant other, but not willing to lift a finger for someone in court, a roommate or a stranger or an enemy, then you don't look a lot like Jesus. Now, back to being a disciple, which I believe all of you are. Disciples are not perfect. They are in process of being sanctified. We are all in process of sanctification, which means we look becoming more like Jesus all the time. And disciples are showing up daily to do good work. But the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. There will always be an overwhelming amount of work to do and not enough people doing good. And I wonder how many of us start off strong and then we dip around October and March because we get overwhelmed because we think being a disciple. If you hear this like sarcastic tone, I'm like talking about myself. I hope you know that. But we get overwhelmed because we think being a disciple means being an exhausted person. There's just so much work to do and it feels like it's not yielding any results because disciples get results, do they not? And this is, I have to do all of it, and now I'm exhausted, so now I avoid all opportunities. And then I show up to do the bare minimum and entertain myself with TikTok like a pacifier with the very few free minutes that I have so that I can get that sweet, sweet dopamine <laughs> that eventually makes me depressed for some reason. I don't understand how it works. And then we just can't wait for the next long break to veg out and not talk to anybody. Because, dear God, who can keep up that pace? Why, Lord, do I feel so exhausted and self-conscious and like I'm not doing enough? Well, it's because you believe partially a false gospel. 
there's a falseness to that idea. Not the whole idea, but to that idea. The thing that we, as a community, and this is probably not everybody in here, but probably the majority of us in here, the thing that we are prone to is to avoid intimacy with Jesus. We believe a lie that we must produce results all the time. Even if we're just trying to produce dopamine by looking at TikTok, it feels kind of productive. And then the reality hits, you know, when reality hits, we can't, hold on, hold on. I don't know what I wrote. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. I'm not gonna read that, sorry. Reality will hit you, then what, you know? You realize we've been ignoring Jesus' commands to love one another because we ignore loving him first. It's the craziest thing, when you face him one-on-one, -on -one, you realize how much he loves you. Here's an analogy. Um, Taylor, did you used to play sports? I can't remember. Taylor, what happens to an athlete when they overtrain? Train too much. Burnout. And then, like, what happened to Claire? <laughs> <laughs> Injuries. Injuries. Claire, Claire was playing dog off ball. It was a very understandable situation. She hurt her knee. Be praying for her, okay? <laughs> what happens to an athlete when they overtrain? They get injured. And then they have to do some sort of specialized biohacking rehab, right? When they overtrain, they have what we call performance fatigue. And we need to take stock of ourselves. We are relationally impaired from performance fatigue. Come on. That might be the next slide. I forgot to put it in my notes. And Bob is very relationally impaired right there. <laughs> this is a quote from Scott Souls. We are relationally impaired from performance fatigue. And then I put a caveat of avoidance fatigue because I think a lot of ways we also like avoid Jesus and other people and that makes us more tired and it's a busy cycle. But the main thing is we are relationally impaired from performance fatigue. Scott Souls is a pastor in Tennessee. So I just, here's some symptoms of performance fatigue. Have you ever lost your temper suddenly at someone and you didn't really understand why? Tempted to withdraw and get easily annoyed with people? Are you ever irritated that your friends keep speaking into your life about the same thing over and over? And you're like, I don't get it, what's the big deal? How could they possibly be upset with me? Because I am doing good stuff all the time. <laughs> Do you ever start to resent your responsibility and duties as a disciple of Jesus because you feel like you're being asked to do too much? Do you resist being alone with your thoughts? <laughs> I won't look at whoever did that. Do you ever consider in prayer what the heck is going on in your heart and what happened this past week? Next slide, please. Disciples of Jesus are called to be devoted to good work, but we are first called to be devoted to Jesus. Yeah. Isn't it funny, like, how our natural inclination, whenever we're faced with, like, stress or discipleship, we're like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And there's a place for that. But how funny is it that we are attracted to the statement that gives us control? And I think the October and March kind of slump that hits is around, I mean, part of it's around the time of midterms, 
midterms, but also it's around the time that I think disciples in campus ministry realize that they cannot control the outcomes of their faithfulness. They ignore having a regular Sabbath, which there is a place for that for us. And we're only facing God's God could be, or we're only facing other people and not facing God. And when you only face other people all the time, people become your God. And the best people don't make good gods. And I'm going to have like a silly example of this. But, you know, I'm a really cool older millennial. And y'all are Gen Z. And I think y'all's generation kind of has a ridiculous amount of expectations that's been placed upon you. More than mine did. And we're not that far apart. And, you know, universities are expecting way more out of you guys. There's helicopter parenting. Um, also, people are judging you through phone screens all the time. Like, seriously, I didn't have a smartphone until college. And y'all's entire lives are, you know, documented by Apple. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, like, it sucks, dude. <laughs> and so I want to like give you like a symbolic example of this. Can you go to the next slide? Okay. This is my cousin Elena. She's so beautiful. And this is her 15th birthday not that long ago. Okay. They all got dressed up fancy. They did their hair. They went to a fancy restaurant and then did a photo shoot. This is my 16th birthday. <laughs> Y'all want to guess who that little guy is? That's Jaden, yeah. And that little punk isn't here tonight for me to show everybody in front of him. Okay, and this, again, this is a symbolic example. There's nothing wrong with, like, getting dressed and wanting to look cute and go out with your friends. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I am saying is I see this as a trend. It's like a symbolic trend. What makes y'all feel like y'all have to do this, right? I see this with people her age, our age. And I'm not saying my generation was better. Each generation has their great things and less great things. But I can tell you in this photo, there's way less self-consciousness going on. Yeah. You can see my friend Brian in the back is making a stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> then, sorry, this is a random group of people that came to my birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, that girl Jamie who's doing this, she's being kind of bad. And then, uh, <laughs> also apparently we had hot dogs. <laughs> But we had a lot of fun. None of us were really worried about what we looked like in that photo. I don't even think I put it on MySpace. Which, do y'all even know what that is? <laughs> so I think the difference, again, it's, it's symbolic, right? And she, my cousin Leda gave me permission to use this photo. Um, what I'm saying is this is like a symbolic image of our cultural desires in, through images, right? Y'all are expected to be fancy models at fancy restaurants, and we were expected to eat hot dogs and babysit at our own birthday parties. <laughs> so, how are you a Gen Z Christian with the highest unchurched rate in history, supposed to manage life with the crushing weight of responsibility? Let's go to the next slide. Um, I'm gonna read the passage finally. Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, real quick, a lot of times, like in women's Christian circles, they're like, oh, I'm just such a Martha, I just can't help it, you know. But, like, we act like in the story what Martha was doing was bad. And it's not. She was actually living out, like, a gospel virtue of hospitality, welcoming Jesus, making preparations, okay? The problem is that she was fatigued from performing and ignored the greater thing. Next slide, please. Scott Saul says, you see, Martha's affliction is not that she is a busy body. Her affliction is that she has a busy heart. She was working from a chaotic center. She is seeking to create order from a cluttered core. She is so busied with and distracted by secondary things that she had lost touch with the first thing, which is the love that brought her into friendship with Jesus in the first place. How many, many of us are working from a cluttered inside? If your answer is, well, I don't know, then you probably are. Lack of reflection is not a good answer, folks. Mm -hmm. Next slide, please. Jesus says one thing is needed. Scott Sauls also says this. Martha, Martha, before you try to change the world, you must first let me change you. Before you make your mark on others, you must first let me make my mark on you. Before you get busy to make things better, you must first let me make you better. Before you can serve and feed me, you must first let me serve and feed you. We are worried and concerned about many things. And most often we are concerned about whether or not we appear to be doing the right thing. Yet, I wonder what would cause each of us to choose what is needed. A need suggests life or death. Without a need, you would die. It's not a light suggestion. A need keeps us alive when we have it, and perhaps to the abundant life that Christ offers. So, what are we to do? We are to sit at Jesus' feet before we go out, one-on-one, -on -one, uninterrupted. Remember, there's another passage where Jesus says to go and pray in your closet and not only to be seen like the hypocrites do. This is an excellent way to imitate Mary in the story. So we're going to play a quick little game called Guess the Prayer Closet. So there are people in our community that have a dedicated space for prayer in their closets, which is actually really cool. Um, and one, this is an invitation for you to do the same. Um, if you share your closet with someone or if your closet is too small, I will say my closet is only two feet wide, and my husband and I figure out a way to make it work. But, yes. Okay. So, who do y'all think is the first one? And the names are up there, so you can pick. 
Megan. Uh, Veronica? Veronica? It's Megan. Who guessed? Oh. Was it you? Oh, Gabe, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Megan, <laughs> Megan What if it was someone that doesn't even know you, Megan? <laughs> You're like, that seems like a Megan. <laughs> okay, number two. Angelica. Oh, it is Angelica. Oh, yeah. How did you know? Verses at the end. For Martha and the elder brother from the prodigal son, the word from God is, all that I have is already yours. So come and sit with me. Enter my rest. And this is also the word from God for us. <clears throat> come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. So let's go and find rest at his feet then, shall we? I wonder, like, like I don't want this to happen to anybody, but when I was sick a lot, I started to question, like, my value. I was like, I put value in be able, being able to walk out my front door and go meet with people, or even walk around my neighborhood. But you guys remember how it was. If you were sick at all, you couldn't see anybody. Um, and I really felt like I was on trial, which, by the way, that's what Satan does. He makes you feel like you're on trial. Jesus does not do that. And I just really had this realization that Jesus loves people even when they can't do a single thing for them. Good news is that y'all can, okay? The good news is that you're valuable even when you can't, even when you're sick, even if you get relegated to a hospital bed for some reason. So, let's go find rest at his feet. I want to share a story. Um, you know, this is anonymous. It's about a friend. But I had a friend last semester who remembered something traumatic that had happened to her uh, when she was young. And when she shared, I think we were both tempted to think, like, man, this is going to take, like, years of counseling. And I definitely think counseling and medication have their place. But 
I gave her a hug. We prayed. I told her what was true because she was tempted to believe that she was just, you know, disgusting. And I was like, it's not true. And I was like, so I'm telling you what's true, but you have to hear this from Jesus. I said, here's what I suggest you do. I said, go to a place, go to a private place and pray. Tell God how you're feeling. Listen. Pray through these psalms. I gave her like three psalms to, to listen to and to pray through. And I said, and at the end, ask God what he thinks about you. And ask him to show you what it means that he's your father. She, this girl came back two hours later and was went from being a wreck to being totally fine. She was tearful but joyful. In those two hours, God had intuited to her that he didn't think that she was disgusting, that he loved her, delighted in her, mourned with her when that happened, and communicated some of this through the Psalms as well. And in those two hours, she, when she faced him, he healed her with his love for her as a father. Incredible. She was so ready to go out and love other people. I, I'm getting chills thinking about it. It's amazing. And we avoid that kind of intimacy. It's so uncomfortable. I'm like, that's the kind of intimacy that made Christians in the first century so assured of who God was that they were willing to go to an early painful grave for Jesus because of persecution. They had such assurance in who he was and their relationship and identity in him. They were like, yeah, put me in that stadium. I will be impaled by these animals while totally naked in front of thousands of people for their entertainment because of God's love for me. And you know what's crazy? A little history lesson for you. When persecution happens, the church is built on the blood of the saints. When that kind of thing happens, more and more people come to know Christ. It's very wild and shouldn't make sense, but it does. So... Counseling and medicine, they're not bad things, but we have elevated counseling and medicine as a replacement for intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. So I want you guys to do a, like, a thought experiment with me. Okay? I want you to imagine what it would be like to not feel rushed, easily offended, numb, annoyed, stressed, withdrawn, and anxious as like a default. Imagine feeling rested in spite of the challenges and demands of reality. Jesus seemed to be able to do it, and I can't think of anyone who had a more demanding life than the Son of God. He seemed to value it, and he seemed to call us to be like him, so y'all should feel permission to go and do that. Imagine our community is a place where people prepare and reflect and pray regularly alone and are eating Sabbath meals together to celebrate the end of the Sabbath and sharing all the love they have received from God that week together. Imagine humble, compassionate people that pray willingly instead of getting bottlenecked by self-consciousness. Imagine our community being a place where people confidently and humbly dispute lies with truth from Jesus in love. Imagine we are a people who are rested, who rest together, who rest with Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, and our obedience to him is an outflow of love, not fear. Because perfect love drives out fear. So we have to go to that perfect love. <laughs> Imagine us offering the peace of Christ to people because we have experienced it. 
And what if our community started to look metaphorically like a community garden where everyone is planting and reaping and sowing and, you know, yielding much fruit from it, digging up weeds, planting good things? How does that feel? feels like heaven on earth, which is possible. We can enact more heaven in Denton. I know that seems crazy, because Denton is kind of like a dirty little town, but it's my dirty little town. Imagine the people in this room who were certain of being set free. Certain. Who could then go on to set others free. There's no doubt that there are pockets of heaven through our community, which is why you're all here, honestly. But we, as a community, have a glaring blind spot of performance fatigue. And we cannot lead others where we are not willing to go. And being people who are led by love starts with sitting at Jesus' feet one-on-one. -on -one. Our strength as a community is praying on the go with people, inviting people in. We're very communal, which is honestly awesome. Some communities have, don't have that strength. But we lack the on-our-knees facing God with intimacy, regularity, that binds people to Jesus for life. But now that we identified the problem, we've got a destination. The danger is if that we don't do this and don't take it seriously is that, A, we will depend on other people's faiths for spiritual milk for the, for the rest of our lives, or we will end up leaving God altogether because the cost of being a disciple is too high, and you'll end up quiet quitting discipleship. But there's good news here. Our prayer is that we would be a people who are responsible, people who, and people who take that responsibility on after graduation, and that you would be people who are super jazzed. I like that word, super jazzed, to take on roles at your church to serve and serve the local community. Don't be someone that's like, I'm just really resting after college because what happens to those people is within five years they leave the church because they never feel rested enough or ready enough to lead. It's okay to feel tired, but there's a very different thing, <laughs> like trying to help yourself feel untired versus like sitting at like Jesus' feet and then being able to operate out of love. Um... So I very lovingly want to invite all of you into this thing because Jesus commanded us to do that. And I can speak from experience how transformational it's been for me, even when I go in, you know, my little forest closet and, um, you know, it seems like maybe I didn't accomplish anything in there. What? You can pray and not accomplish anything and your God still loves you? Yeah, man. It's kind of awesome. And so I invite you to mature now and not later. And I'm, if you feel any ounce of shame, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that shame. Go back to hell where you came from. So I'm not shaming you. But I'm very much like, this is a passionate plea for you to take this seriously right now. Because I want you to experience your deepest identity in Christ one-on-one. -on -one. To experience being one who is loved, corrected, affirmed, and comforted by God, your Father. Okay, so the next slide, please. So I can already hear it in my head, but, 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 but what do I do? How do I do this thing, right? Okay.
Okay, you can take a picture of this slide, but one, you have to make room for his word. In John 8, Jesus is like having this spirited debate with, you know, the religious leaders. And it says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. So he's honoring the Pharisees, like, you know, being progeny of Abraham. He said, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. So one, make room for his word. Give up something, read scripture, ask the Lord, what is your heart here, God? What is your heart here? There's a bunch of different ways. There's, you know, if you're only doing one thing with scripture, then you're deficient in like the richness of what it means to experience it. But if nothing else, ask the Lord, what is your heart here? And then have an open mind, open heart. Two, have ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, basically, like in Luke, there's this whole theme of discipleship all the way through. And the one, and this passage is like smack dab in the middle of a lot of the discipleship stuff. So Jesus' disciples are ones that have ears to hear, eyes to see, who sit at his feet. And it makes it sound like, oh, people don't get to choose, like, if they can listen or see. No, no, no. You have a choice. So choose to have ears to hear. Choose to have eyes to see. Choose to sit at his feet. Three, choose what is better quickly and often. Obedience is success. That's all you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about the outcome. Obedience is success. And obedience is maturity. Four, you guys, again, y'all do great at praying on the go, in person, in cores, together. That is great. But learn and pray in secret as well. Learn in secret. Pray in secret. It's okay to have some secrets between you and God. It's kind of cool. It's okay to be loved on by him. All of this requires your trust. And you have to give up your avoidance as well. And there are all kinds of ways to interact with Jesus in your prayer closet time. Sing, talk, listen, cry, nap, confess, write, praise, you know, etc. Let me say as a caveat, you don't have an excuse to not be a reflective person. That is a convenient excuse to protect yourself from growing up. And I'm just saying that because we are stimulated all the time. We don't give ourselves any time to think. And I suggest any time you think, to think with God. Thinking face God. Because you're going to try to draw a lot of conclusions that actually make you feel like you are on trial. Okay? So draw the conclusions from God who is love. And he might correct you, but he'll always correct you out of love for you. And if you're one of those people that's like, Excuse me, I don't understand how this works, but my calculations? Claire? I'm kidding, because she wears a lab coat. Guys, guys, I'm teasing Claire because I love her. She can publicly tease me later. Okay. To you I say, welcome to the mystery of Christ, because no one knows how it works. But test my claims. See if you can leave that not feeling loved. Get on your knees because your prayer posture matters. If you can't, you know, it's fine to sit or whatever. Sometimes your ACL is torn. <laughs> That's not me. Y'all need to relax. Okay. But test the claim. What y'all say? 
Yeah, posture matters. Like praying like this is the reason why historically people have done that. Is it's humility. Imagine Jesus' feet are in front of you and let him minister to you. He requires it. Okay, last slide. Y'all can take a picture of this. So if you need some pathways to go in your time, uh, you can do the Lord's Prayer and replace. You can get a little creative. It's not heresy, okay? Um, something Darby and I do regularly is that we use the Lord's Prayer for our city. I've been interacting with some very strange people lately who are actively worshiping the devil. You don't need to be afraid because you have the spirit of Christ living in you. The Lord of spirits, okay? But I'm like, it's been like the most funky spiritual time that I can remember in Denton. And, and those people that you meet, pray for them. They are not your enemy. Who they are being held hostage by is your enemy. So... Yeah, the kingdom come in Denton, I will be done in Denton. Like, there is something really great about this prayer. And if I, if there's someone who's on my heart, I sometimes replace, you know, um, I put their name in there. That will be done in Shayla. I've almost made another Claire joke, but <laughs> I felt like the audience was turning against me. So. <laughs> okay, second one is there is this band called Poor Bishop Hoover. And they did something where they turned every single psalm into a song, which is awesome. Becca has sang some of them up here. She's done a great job. And so I like to listen to them sing it and also read it. Remember, this is ancient prayer language, people talking to God. So if you're like, am I allowed to talk to God like this? Like, read the psalms and then do it. Um, and then three, this is just emotional processing in prayer. I naturally do not know what emotions I'm having at any given time. And what has been beneficial to me is that the Lord will suss it out for me and then put them in their proper place. Because emotions are like wild animals and they dictate almost everything you do, whether you know it or not, okay? Um, some of us are very intuitive, some of us are not intuitive with ourselves. And so we need to submit both of those at Jesus' feet and let him put them in order and then, oh man, that freedom is great. So, I'm going to pray. I definitely went long, but just five minutes to spare. Okay. Um, Jesus, thank you for thank you for caring about us and desiring that we face you and for loving us. I pray that um, you would empower everyone in here tonight to do the next right thing. That you would empower them to be people who have make a sacred space to face you. That they wouldn't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I pray that all of them leave here knowing how much you love them and what you desire for them. In your name we pray. Amen.